0: Sharpen your pencils, adjust your glasses, fill those pocket protectors, because you've never heard nerds like this. Matt and Chris engage
1: in Rampant Speculation. What up, Chris? What up, Matt? Not much, man. Things seem to be going better now. Yeah, we got this uh, mic situation figured out.
2: Yeah, we we got the mics pointing at our mouths instead of at random.
1: You mean up in the air? <laughs> yeah,
2: random places in the room.
1: Um, we also got some new digs. Got the office in the basement set up. What do you think?
2: Yeah, it's nice. I like the I like all the books that you have. All these Encyclopedia Britannicas.
1: Oh, the I said Biblica. It's Britannica. Yeah. Yeah. Or Biblica Britannica. <laughs> um, it's it's pretty awesome. They've got. You know, I got these, my grandfather got them from an auction along with a bunch of other books, and as you could see, one says Lincoln, and you were looking at the Bryant book earlier, that was printed in 1876.
2: Yeah, that one looks really cool, it's, it's Bryant's popular history of the United States, and of course the first Bryant I think of is William Jennings Bryant, I mean, who else are you going to think of? Um, but this guy's name is William Cullen Bryant, so... That's only the middle name difference. I think this guy is probably William Jennings Bryant's dad. That's just my guess, especially since he wrote a popular history of the United States and William Jennings Bryant was a populist.
1: That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's it's cool to read because it's from that time period. And uh, all the other books up there are interesting reads. Mr. Miller actually took all of those from me when I got him in high school. Oh. And he read them all. And I have peeked through them. I haven't really read all of them. But I've definitely peeked through them to kind of take a look at them. The one I read most is that bread book you see with no binding on it. Yeah. That was printed in Moscow in 1940, and it was wow. transported back over here. And people that don't know when Stalin was not was popular, like, you, there's nothing bad about Stalin in that book. Right. <laughs> really, it's really He's interesting. It's probably the greatest. Yeah. It's, 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 it's funny to see it and, and live it. You don't get to do that very often in history to have proof. Um And I was lucky to have that book.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
1: Um, Some of these other books up here, like the Pictionary ones, I actually used some of these when I was writing uh, that horror story for us when we were developing a horror character. Yeah. Kind of going through like the 1600s and it's like the formation of America. It's like Pictionary formation of America.
2: Ah, that's pretty useful.
1: It is. It is. Kind of gives you some good ideas. It makes it easier to write when you get to picture something and then you can kind of use that as a momentum. Yeah. I think you'll love my Amish to Star Wars up here. Yeah. What do you think it, of Slave Leia?
2: Well, I mean, it, it's fine.
1: Yeah. That's that's the hottest Princess Leia. I mean, if you look at all the Princess Leias. Well, throughout it's the,
2: it's the most skinned Princess Leia, so that makes sense. I mean, that's what the suit's designed to be. Yeah, so. she had
1: some leather outfits, though, that were pretty good looking.
2: Yeah, but they were practical. I mean, they weren't designed to be... Not like that's one thing that I liked about the originals is that... Leia wasn't always in some sort of like sexy outfit that made no sense except because it looked sexy. Yeah. Um, except for the slave Leia, obviously, but that even made sense within the context of the story. It wasn't, um, you know, maybe they created that scenario so they could finally get her into a bikini, but I don't know. But the point is, is if that was, even if that was the case, that at least they built a good story around it. So it, doesn't make no sense.
1: No, I I agree. It's not you know the armor with the boobs in it that they use a lot of times. Yeah, there's not a lot of that on there. Um, I always I like collecting like little knickknacks. I don't like to go too crazy, but uh, I have some uh, good little stuff in here. Yeah. Um, I really needed it for work first and foremost, and then sure. What what better office do you need with a Blitz Arcade 99 machine in here?
2: Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I can tell that you definitely need that to get some work done.
1: Well, it's cool because you know when you're doing all these bids and stuff for clients and you need to blow off some steam at, at night, you can just pop a beer open and play some blitz. Yeah. Um, when going through some of what we were talking about today, uh, I was meeting up with Jesse to get the equipment and we were talking about road rage. Do you ever get road rage? Uh, yeah. Now, do you consider road rage? We were talking about what the definition of road rage is, and mm. what brought it up was I had, was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast okay. on on what road rage was, and he had a couple of MMA guys on there, and they were talking about road rage. And I had a school bus today, pretty much cut me off, and I was sitting on the side of the road um, in front of a uh, in front of my client, and I was getting ready to pull out and go left, but this school bus was hauling ass and no turn signal on or anything, so I just stopped. But then he stopped, too. And I'm like, then I tried waving him on, you know, being polite because it's a school bus. And then he starts, like, waving at me, like, insanely mad. I'm like, no, dude, you can go. Like, I'm going to wait for you. Like, I don't need to go. I'm not in that big of a hurry. Yeah. And, like, he's, like, waving at me. So I'm like, fine, I'll just go. And I just see him, like, just, like, flailing his hands behind me. I'm like, fuck that guy. Yeah. I'm like, man, like, what are you so angry about? Like, I'm trying to let you go. And then and he didn't. Did, did, then he had, I saw him do his turn, and he didn't even turn his turn signal on. I'm like, you need to drive a school bus, being mad at me.
2: Uh, well, yeah. So the reason he was, quote unquote, mad is because he needed to do a wide turn, and so you were blocking him. Mm-mm. Oh, no.
1: Sorry, drinking some scotch. No, that's um, fine. No, not even that. I was just waiting for him. I was going to pull out, but I saw the right. school bus.
2: Well, I was wondering what minute. he was waiting on.
1: I don't know. He was just trying to be nice, and then. You know, that, yeah. like you don't know should I go or should he go, kind of game. And I was like, "Fine, I'll guess I'll just go now." Right.
2: Yeah, there's I, a lot of times where people try. When people being nice makes me angry because them being nice makes it go slower for everybody. Yep. Um, like what? Like when I'm walking, right in a parking lot or something, and I see a car coming, and I'm looking at it, so I stop, and then they come to a stop and wave me across, and it's like. Yeah, that's nice. I know you're being nice, but it would have taken, I would have been able to walk, you know, like it would have taken me the same amount of time or less if you had just kept driving, but because you slowed down and I don't know what you're doing, um, it, it took longer for everybody should have just gone. I was already stopped.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> they would have known that it was Matt cause I don't make it apparent that right. I was pissed off, but I don't. Get, I don't get that match. Well, yeah.
2: And so, if you're going to define it, I guess it depends on, like you said, how you define it. If you're defining it like chasing people down, trying to run them off the road, shooting at them, <laughs> then no, I have never had road rage, but I have been enraged when uh, some driving actions that people have done and waved my hands a couple times.
1: I've had a. I've it, had a guy because this was when I was when I lived in Phoenix, and this. There was glass in front of me. There had just been a wreck, and they hadn't got it cleaned up yet. And I obviously couldn't go in my lane because I didn't want to run over all the glass. And so I waited for the cars in the left-hand lane to pass me and and go by, and the guy was behind me. And there was people pulling out behind him and going, and he's, like, blaring his horn at me. And I didn't, like, make any gestures or anything. So then he follows me for two miles. Then he gets out of his car and then tries to open my car door. And he's like, get the fuck out of the car, dude. I'm going to beat your ass. I'm like, for what, man? For what? Why are you trying to beat me up? I'm like, seriously, don't make me get out of this fucking car. like." And I'm like, looking at this dude, I'm like, you're pissed off about me sitting there. I can't go over the glass. And like, you didn't see the wreck? It wasn't like they hadn't moved or anything. Right. Oh, dude, that was so pissed. But I didn't get out of my car. Like, I'm not that stupid. But I guess the closest, one of the closest things have been the Road Rage. The other one was in Olathe. This guy I don't know, he said I cut him off and I I don't know if I did or not. Honestly didn't see if I did. But he got back he got out of his car at a stoplight and hit my car window and was like, You almost you put my kids in fucking danger and I'm like, Okay and you're getting out of your car to accost me and I'm putting your kids in danger in right. danger. Yeah, I don't that, understand the rationale behind there is, that.
2: There's not rationale behind it. He's yeah, he's not and being so rational. And so,
1: actually, that's I did call the police on that one and uh, tell him I wanted to press charges, mm. just because I think that's stupid. Like, don't get out your car and hit my window. Don't yeah. don't hit my car. Like that's just juvenile. Yeah. I, I don't need to deal with that bullshit. I was trying to go run too, so I was really pissed off because I was tired from a long day of work and I wanted to get my run in at the park and I got to deal with this asshole. I clowned it on my car. I'm like, get the fuck out of here, dude. But he was he was the epitome of white trash. I hate white trash. But, and... <laughs> oh, dude, I, I don't like road rage, so... I, I just didn't know if you don't seem like the type of person that would have road rage.
2: No, I get infuriated with certain things. Um, I do kind of... I just keep it under control, though, I guess. I don't... Yeah, I would never get out of my car and chase someone down. I would never... Follow them for 30 miles to, you know, like seething the whole way. But, you know, people will do stuff, be inconsiderate, and I will, and I'll get mad and I'll, I'll be like, I'll flip them off or wave my hands and scream obscenities at them from the safety of my own car where they can't hear me. I don't,
1: I don't consider that road rage.
2: Yeah. It's that, that's my road rage. That's as bad as I get.
1: No, especially when you're if they don't know that you're angry, I don't consider it road rage at all. So I mean, yeah. road rage is is well, raging I mean, at other
2: sometimes, people. Yeah, when I'm waving my hands and flipping off, like I'm sure people. Yeah, if they're seeing you, see then... see that sometimes, <laughs> so, not all the time, because sometimes the dick move that they're doing, they're way far away. They can't see me anymore.
1: I've definitely flipped people off before. But I try not to. I try to. I try to. Well, the funny thing is,
2: I don't honk though. Like, I try to reserve my honks for the like the most egregious things, like safety things. And but the the funny thing is that the few times I've done it, I've immediately regretted it because like. It seemed like it was a qualifying event. And then like seconds later, something happened where I was like, oh, that person wasn't being a dick. <laughs> and then I felt really bad about honking.
1: Yeah, uh, that's another thing that gets me. When, I, when I'm when i at a stoplight and it just turns green and they don't give you any time to move,
2: they, uh, yeah, they start blaring
1: on the horn. I'm like, come on, just take a, yeah, take a second. There's no reason to start honking your horn right no matter, now.
2: No matter how much of in a hurry you are. You're not going. That's not going to improve your arrival time any. And
1: I've I've been dumb before. I've missed lights because I've like either been looking at a text message or uh, Jesse. You guys will send. I'm like watching the argument or something that's going on on our group chat. Yeah. I've missed a couple lights before. I can understand a honk then. Like if I'm if I'm there for an, in a long time and we're gonna miss a light, please honk at me. Yeah, right. But, but when I'm, when I'm watching, and like this happened to me two days ago, I'm watching the light and it turns green and it goes like, beep, beep. I'm like, come on. No, I, I get it. I, I, I can see the light. Right.
2: Give everyone that a chance. That person just must
1: have a shitload of experiences where they're constantly missing yeah. lights because people aren't paying attention, which I'm not saying doesn't happen, but I couldn't imagine being that uptight all the time.
2: No, yeah. Give, give, give them a chance to go before you start
1: prompting them. Exactly. No, um... So I, I always thought about that. Jesse and I were talking about road rage, and it just cracks me up because I was listening to Joe Rogan talk about it. And this MMA guy, this guy's raging at this this fighter, and he can't get out and confront the dude because technically he's listed as a weapon. So if he were to beat that guy's ass, it would be, it'd be his career. He wouldn't be able to fight in the MMA again because the court would rule against him because he's a trained fighter. Right. So he's like as much as he wanted to – beat this guy's ass he had to take a right and go around the block because if he didn't then all hell would break loose for him he'd lose his career and over what just over road rage but it's just simple things right. too and i would just die and laugh during the episode so i've been listening to a lot of joe rogan lately
2: yeah i like joe rogan some i i tend to skip the mma episodes which there are a lot of because i'm not really that into mma but he he has some good guests on that are interest me.
1: I just caught this one on uh it just happened to catch it on YouTube. So it wasn't like a full episode, it was just kind of a snip mm-hmm. from or clip from the actual podcast. So cause this podcast kinda of run like ours, dude. They're a little over an hour, hour, yeah. two hours, or so and they just take like snippets of it. So it's pretty interesting. Um, so I know we're gonna talk about some ready player one. Are you excited about that? Yeah. Ready player one, Chris. So I know we just you're excited about it and I'm excited about it. To me, the book was amazing. I know that you read it pretty fast, and I've listened to it like seven times. What's your critique on it?
2: So, well, I mean, part of it is context, obviously. You read it, like, without any expectations. Like, it was just a book that you happened to see, and it caught you off guard, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it had been passed down to me. Yeah. But I didn't get much context with it. I just heard, like, hey, this book is awesome. You need to read it. And when I was reading it, it was one of those books. I'm like, well, damn it. I want to know what happens next. So I was, I read it pretty much all in one night.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got it from you. So you handed it down to me and you talked it up, but not just you. I mean, by the time you were handing it down to me, it was already, there had already been a trailer released for the the movie. Um, or by the time I heard about it, I like, I, I had already seen the trailer for it. I think that might've been the first time I'd heard about it. So like, I'm. This is in the context of the movie coming out, getting ready to come out. There are lots of people saying that this book is like, you know, some sort of like, yeah, like game changer. And I don't feel like it's that much of a game changer. I think it's good, it's a good book. Um, But I don't think there's anything in here that's particularly game changing.
1: So I'll listen to this book, I'll go through a series like a trilogy of books and mm-hmm. then I'll pick this book back up. So that's why I've listened to it so yeah. many times. Um, to me, it's like a game. It's one of those games that has replay value. I can listen. I could read this book and listen to it over and over again. Um, I think it starts out strong, especially when you meet Wade Watts and you go through the Oklahoma stacks. To me, the stacks were something that I had never thought of before. And I thought that was flushed out yeah. and really well done.
2: The stacks were interesting um yeah his interpretive well and that's he he creates kind of an interesting world and explores some aspects of of you know how this technology would mold the world around it but i guess that's one of my criticisms is it's just kind of surface i wish he would have delved into some of that stuff that would have been interesting to me how he got here you know like the he describes a kind of almost post-apocalyptic world yeah. Where it's like dangerous to go into the countryside between cities.
1: Pretty much yeah. It's any year 2040. Right. So
2: but but he just kind of mentions that in passing as he's transitioning to Columbus um you know it's it's it doesn't get explored that much. He says that there's that nuclear bombs go off periodically like
1: <laughs> it's Well, I think well you saying nuclear bombs had gone off. Right. That, that's what Right. Created, well, I mean it created the energy it, crisis.
2: So it's I I would have been interested to see like more more commentary on that kind of stuff, um, but it's but that's fine if it's it's an adventure book. It doesn't have to. Not every book has to be some sort of political treatise or yep. philosophical. And he has some philosophical
1: experiment. and political stuff inside. Yeah, they they they're, they're, they
2: touch on it, but
1: on to the beginning of the book. And what really excited me from the get go was right before I read this book, I read a book called Masters of Doom, and it was about the creators of Doom, which are very similar to the two creators of the Oasis. Yeah. So if you know anything about the creators of Doom, they pretty much... You can thank them for all the first-person shooters that we have today, and a lot of the computer engines that we have today that are able to run the software. Um, The guys that created Doom actually created a bunch of other drives that were used to actually make games such as super mario brothers on the pc platform right. and have you ever heard of shareware yeah so they actually really use shareware a lot and that's how a lot of their first person shooters got put out to the marketplace and most famous is wolfenstein which is one of my favorite games and it's a good game if you know in ready player one they talk a lot about shareware and they talk a lot about wolfenstein and doom and they talk a lot about those video games so i think when writing this book, Ernest Klein pulled from some of that because he made the characters similar, how Halliday was a shut in type guy and he didn't talk to the world very much. Right. And Og was very outgoing and business like. Well, that's how the characters or the guys that created Doom were. Uh, McCormack would sit in his office for hours at a time and just code and code and code, and come up with these badass graphics, these badass players, yeah. and then John would sit there and play the game, and then he would be the guy yelling at people, and he'd be the guy out in the front looking like the rock star, and McCormack just wanted to create games, so that back and forth was super awesome.
2: Yeah. Um, I guess another the other criticism I'd have with um, Ready Player One is the overindulgence of references i liked it um now it's i'm not a lot of the references are integral to the plot and the story moving forward i'm not denying that but i just want to read a little snippet for you real um, quick this is so chris is, is, so chris oh, is getting on. off
1: his criticisms out of the way first because yeah. <laughs> we're kind of starting to like this is a bad book because chris is like criticizing it right <laughs> up front
2: <laughs> well i i just i knew i knew that i had to be prepared with my criticisms. So that's why I've got like passages and everything, because Matt loves this book. Like he said, he's read it a lot. So if I just came in here like, oh, I didn't really like this thing. Matt would tear me to shreds. So here, this is on page 62. This is right before he opens the or finds the first key. And we already have a really good idea that this guy is obsessed with the contest.
1: The copper key.
2: And yes, the copper key. Sorry. I see, 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 I told you if I wasn't prepared and I called it the first key and he tore me apart. <laughs> but anyway, so we know that he loves 80s stuff and he's been studying 80s stuff ad nauseum to this point already at 62 pages in um, and he decides to go on this two page reference fest where he just is basically listing titles. That's all he's doing. Um, and I'm just going to read this one here. It's, it's really compelling read. Um, okay. When it came to my research, I never took any shortcuts over the past five years. I'd worked my way down the entire recommended Gunter reading list, Douglas Adams, Kurt Vonnegut, Neil Stephenson, Richard K. Morgan, Stephen King, Orson Scott Card, Mm -hmm. Terry Pratchett, Terry Brooks, Bester, Bradbury, Haldeman, Heinlein, Tolkien, Vance, Gibson, Gaiman, Sterling, Moorcock, Scalzi, Zelazny. I read every novel by every single one of Halliday's favorite authors. And I didn't stop there. And neither does Klein. He proceeds to... List a whole bunch of movies and a whole bunch of TV episodes and a whole bunch of songs and anime. Uh this definitely could have used some editing. <laughs> I, I, I don't.
1: But this isn't this even pop- referencing.
2: He's just saying names. This, it's not even a reference.
1: So the great thing about that, and I, what I love about this book, it's like when I wrote the story Apartment B, and it kind of blew up on Wattpad, and all of a sudden overnight, they had like thirty thousand reads right. just overnight and it's not the best written piece but the idea is there and that and that's why this book took off but no going, but and going,
2: i think it is but, really well written but going through in those, a lot of other areas
1: going through those going through those titles like when listening to it on audible it's not that bad but when reading it i get what you mean it's kind of like an info dump it's like oh i look how much i know about 80s pop culture right you know did he just read this off wikipedia um But I actually kind of enjoyed it. I'm like, oh, Stephen King, fuck yeah, Stephen King, or Orson Scott, yeah, fuck yeah, I like him too. And like, yeah, I like Like, all these guys too. Who the fuck is that guy? The anime stuff, I don't know at all. In
2: fact, of that that paragraph is probably the one where I recognized. Is the only one where I recognized all the references. Yeah. So, like, but that's because of literary stuff, not because of '80s fandom. Um, But it's like, you know, I. I don't think it adds anything. I think it detracts from it, slows it down. That, that's the only... That's really, I think, his only flaw in his writing, is he just gets too indulgent with the references.
1: That's been a big criticism of it.
2: And day. it's not... I And he's designed the book so that he could do the references. I understand that. But there's parts where he's just like, you know what, I... I need to put these references in here, so I'm just going to just have them start listing off names. <laughs> well, and
1: I get it. So when the character's talking about I think he's trying to show how smart the character is on that actual genre of 80s literary and it's like do you, literary do you need to be do you need to go with that in depth? No. He could have said like I read Tolkien, Orson Scott, Stephen King. Right. And I didn't even stop there. I looked at anime. I watched Football. Exactly. I watched baseball from the eighties. I did this. I did that. Two... And everything I just referenced right there is definitely not in the book. I mean not it's not it's in the book, but he definitely doesn't like sports, which I thought was hilarious. Um Right. But overall about Ready Player One, what traps me into reading it and listening to it over and over again is even though he has information dumps and those info dumps and he goes over stuff repeatedly that's from the eighties I kind of like it. It's not because it's like just a nerdy book, but it doesn't happen every so often. It, it is heavy throughout the course of the book, but as far as like getting started with the book, he immediately dives you into this world where it, everything is going wrong, but in another world, you can get to something where everything can go right, and you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be super famous, and I think the character is very relatable. Everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people can relate to... To Parsable or to Wade Watts and who his character is, and and how he interacts with people. You know he was a nobody, and I really enjoyed that part of the book.
2: Yeah, no, he's a pretty compelling character. I think his sidekicks. I mean, it, it. I don't know how you could have done it much different because of the disconnected nature, but they didn't get developed very well um, in general. Though? Well, I They're mean, like his friends. I mean, well, I'm just saying. I would have liked a little more development of them, but maybe that just wasn't possible given the construction of the narrative and, you know, the the inherent well lonely nature of,
1: of I've watched a couple of reviews on that
2: world. So and I'm not I'm not saying he was bad writing per se. I'm just saying I so would've liked that.
1: We'll get back to that in a minute. So what I really wanna do is get people up to speed. So there are gonna be some spoilers if you haven't read the book, but I think you should definitely but the main premise of the book is There's a place called the Oasis. And inside the Oasis, it's it's a role that is virtual reality. I know we kinda left that out in the beginning. And the book is based off of the Oasis. Now the two creators that I have already mentioned before that created the Oasis kind of split up. They had a difference in ways, and you find out really what happened to them towards the end of the book, which is kind of nice that you get that information. But Mm -hmm. the when the everything is settled, the dust is settled, one guy owns the Oasis. Now, when that gentleman passes by the name of Halliday, he leaves a game inside the Oasis for the entire control of his company and all of his stock, which is billions of dollars. So obviously, the multimedia companies definitely want a piece of that stock, and they they want to take it because they see so much money involved, and they can control everybody in the world, pretty much. The power that they would have over everybody is huge. So you really had a formation of two big groups of people. You had the Gunters who were the people that were the nerds, the people that studied holiday's life and they didn't operate with the system behind them. Then you had this, the Sixers who were an IOI campaigning group that worked for an actual media company. And they were te- technically nicknamed the "Suckers" because they sucked. And I love that part of the book. Yeah. And they were run by the actual media. So getting that background and going through the challenges, I think is going to be important to kind of how we discuss the book.
2: Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, and that was some of the interesting things like how the concept behind the Sixers, they were effectively like an army um, that the a uh, private corporation hired and used to enforce whatever they wanted.
1: Very mercenary. Like, yeah, the movie does a good job. I think about doing, on how they portrayed the Sixers. I know you haven't seen the movie, but it's kinda of funny. I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna go, go ahead ahead and say it. Yeah, yeah, there's a part in the movie that's my favorite part and I was laughing my ass off of Jesse. He gets a Chucky doll and he's like, oh fuck and he throws a Chucky doll out the window and it starts killing all the Sixers <laughs> during this race. And I just could not stop laughing. And like that was I love horror movies and Chucky or Child's Play is one of my favorite movies. And that part, dude, was so good. Because, like, the Chucky doll was, like, trying to stab him. And he's trying to drive the car. And he just throws yeah. down the fucking window. It was it was great.
2: Sounds like they definitely... The movie does more horror references than, it does. than the book. Because, I was really surprised by that. Because I heard, also, they referenced The Shining in there. They did. They absolutely so, did. So that's The Shining and Chucky. Um, yeah,
1: The Shining was good because... I know
2: that Klein gets a screenwriter credit.
1: Does he? Yeah. That's really... Because other than those... Those things aren't even in the book. First of all, right? He does mention the shining in the book, but like it's not. He doesn't dwell on it, right? And one of the things that really irritates me about the book, or book movie um, battle, is it's completely different. And I, it irritates me in a way to where they change the characters in a way to where it kind of detracts from the book itself or, or what the book's message was. And in those ways, I was kind of pissed off. And they also didn't kill one of the characters, which really pisses me off. They made, uh, really, they made uh, Shoto an eleven year old boy. Oh, uh-huh. he's a he's a grown man, right? He's a grown fucking man, and I think they did that so they could appeal to little kids. But I'm not cool with that. He dies in the book for a reason, and that reason is is because. So
2: wait, what about his brother then?
1: So did Dioto die or did Shoto die? It was Dioto. Whoever die. the old
2: the older brother died and the younger brother I think it
1: was Shoto died. Now I yeah, can't remember.
2: I can't remember. Well, you got I've the, got the, book, got the right book right there. Right
1: um, but anyhow, so they don't kill him in the movie, which just it. I hate when they do shit like that. I get making simple changes. Daito
2: dies. He's the older Shoto
1: dies. Okay, so Shoto dies, and the great the reason it pisses me off. So when the so, movie. so they
2: do wait they do or they don't kill him in the
1: movie they don't at all and what i know it's so stupid and when the movie first opens i'm so pumped because you see h battling in the pvp arena and i love that i always wanted i always kind of wanted to picture in my mind what what a pvp would be like and so it was awesome because you can die and lose all your shit well all of a sudden within the first five minutes you meet dieto and shoto and they're all friends already
2: they're already friends.
1: they're already friends so weird well, and I think the reason they had to do that was because they had to find a way to connect everybody. Well, in, yeah, in because real it, life, it would example. have been
2: hard in the movie to do the whole. Because in from, the book, they go on that.
1: In, they're already all in Columbus too. They're not in different parts of the world. The,
2: in in the book, Daito and Shoto never go been. on a on a uh, like this long quest with, um, um of that that really. Like that's, you know, he builds a relationship in the middle of the book. Yep. And that sets the stage for later. So I guess it makes sense in the sense that they might have thought, I don't know how we're going to like do this weird, random little side quest. You know, it's kind of what it is. It's very important in the book for the story. But if you're, you're constrained in time for a movie, I can see why you might think that's too much to no, try
1: to fit i'm okay with that actually them yeah. knowing each other i mean i'm okay with them all being in columbus ohio too. well
2: okay i would say i'm okay with daito and shoto knowing them and h but some of that like um there's no reason that he should have known um what's her face
1: artemis artemis he doesn't right away oh okay uh, he meets yeah. artemis in inner he knows of her already right, because right. of the blog just
2: like in the book yeah yeah
1: and but he doesn't know of her. He doesn't meet her. He meets her during the racing. So the first challenge in the movie is a race. Mm. That's not in the book. No. So none of the challenges in the book. So the only thing they have to do in the movie is get the key and then that then they get the they get the points for it. Yeah. So they actually don't do any of the gates or the lip syncs in the book. You know how they had the lip syncs with Monty Python in the end and they had the yeah. lip sync with the, um, Spielers Spieler's day off and That one would be kind of hard so
2: Cin- cinematically as well.
1: See, that's what I thought too. I mean, it'd be hard to show, I get it, but I thought that would be super cool to kind of I don't know how you would do it.
2: Yeah, that I mean, aside from just well, and also maybe they couldn't get the rights to show those movies too. Yeah.
1: But War Games is a great fucking movie. And it's very it's very important, you know. And then also another important thing is when they're finding the Jade Key after they all complete that second quest, um they they can't figure it out. Parsville actually figures out what's going on, and then he actually figures out, oh, it has to do with Blade Runner. Not in the movie. I don't even know if uh, Rush was in the movie, and Rush is a huge part of the book. Like, Halliday is a huge Rush fan.
2: Right, he has to play... In fact, the um, Parsville being able to play a Rush song Into the gives him an extra like yep. um, edge. Like, there's a secret message that isn't necessary to figure out the last gate but it it would definitely speed up your deciphering.
1: Yeah, it helped him figure out there needs to be 3 people. And that's well, what I think and, and that's, he just knew there need to be many. How yeah. did they
2: decide on 3? How did they
1: It's the schoolhouse of rock. Oh yeah, the schoolhouse rock. Yeah. yeah. So 3 is a magic number. number. Yeah, so it needed to be 3 people to open the gate and it's funny suckers can never fucking figure it out because they're so that's what I loved about it because they're so faceful. Oh, I passed the gate. Now I'm just going to go. And Sorrento wanted to be the only motherfucker that's going to cross that gate, that threshold. Yeah. Um, so, and then, the, I mean, there's some, this is different. The whole movie is different. So the movie is standalone from the book. It's good. It's a great movie. But if you read the book and you go watch the movie, you just cannot expect it to be the same because everything is different. Um, I Rock is the main villain, one of the main villains in the movie. Which yeah. makes no fucking sense because he's not even a villain in the book. He's just a douchebag.
2: Well, I, that makes more sense to me because he's almost pointless in the
1: book. He's very pointless. Like it
2: doesn't even make sense why he's even there. It's never really
1: explained. He, well, yeah, he's there because he he's the one that tips off all the Gunters on who they are.
2: Right, but why does H let him in his secret little hideout that he can literally bar him from coming to? You don't H remember, doesn't like him in the book.
1: But you don't remember that banter? No, I remember so, that banter. So and he, back, if you go he back, he says in the book, it doesn't really for, explain it. Word for word, he goes. It just reminds me how shitty. Like he likes he likes being better than him. It's it's a personality. Oh uh,
2: yeah, but I, I feel like that's weak. That's weak. I don't think
1: that's he likes embarrassing him. It just makes him feel good about, you know, how much they know about Halliday and that most Gunters are like IROC. So I think it just shows it's it's there to show most Gunters are like them and that's why nobody's found the key. I think it's important to have in the book because you know, like most oh, no. most people are like irock They walk around, and they they think they know the talk. It's like, hey, do you know what this is? Yeah, motherfucker, that's adventure. Or no motherfucker, that's that's sword that's the sword quest. Which Not is convinced. Which is crazy. Um, have you ever read up on that? The sword quest?
2: Um. No, way.
1: no. Okay, no, so Huffies. that's where you can win, like, the Emerald Sword. You can actually win a real sword and win all this money. They, they go through. They actually have Oh, he
2: talks about it in the book, yeah. Those,
1: yeah. those are actually real things. Right. And, dude, it's it's pretty that's impressive. interesting, yeah. Yeah, and so I was actually... The funny thing about it is, before I even read this book, four years... Well, I actually, because I've been in Kansas City for actually four years now. So... When I lived in Vegas, so that would have been like five or six years ago, I was watching Angry Video Game Nerd, and he was discussing some of, the, some of that actual quest and um, the world championships, and they never got to all the actual items. They never completed everything, but actually somebody did win the sword, and that sword would be worth so much money now. If they actually brought it out and sold it on eBay, it would be worth a right. shitload of money. And I thought that was always pretty interesting but um so i enjoyed that part like and um my favorite part of their banter of h and h and parzival's relationship was uh, like, like like our relationships i can i can relate to their friendships in, in our group <clears throat> i just yeah had a puberty yep. moment there and <laughs> in our group of friends uh, that's i think why i was drawn to the book so much because almost every conversation we have is us arguing just like h and uh parzival do
2: yeah that's uh, the banter between those two is definitely the best dialogue in the book. Endorians.
1: I, Lady Hawk. You know, the, I, I don't know who Lady Hawk is, by the way. Do you? No. See, and that that's one of the references I, I probably should know, but I don't. But that fucking thing when you talk about Endorians, I just, I just thought of you. And, like, you would be the type of person I feel would would be H's type person, like, in, like defending the Endorians. Well, what's
2: wrong with the Endorians?
1: I don't know. They're just kind of... They're, they're, i didn't like them i mean okay they're, I can't, they're, they're fuzzy, fuzzy one of
2: god's creatures
1: they're fuzzy little bears and yeah I that just,
2: saved the rebellion they
1: remind me of gummy bears and i don't know why but you know the Harborough gummy bears yeah that they, they reminded me of harboro gummy bears and i have i like i don't know why that is but in and how they carry the little sticks around i just don't see them beating the empire and i thought it was the movie was shot was well done but the return of the jedi is one of my least favorite of the star wars movies The return
2: it's a it's a surprise attack i mean they weren't expecting anything like if they knew that they're going to be going up against ewoks and everything like they get better at the end
1: no i, mean, I yeah. don't disagree and i'm listen in was a great fucking the whole that whole scene was great you know i like the travel to the forest but i'm sorry it's one of my least favorite star wars movies but <laughs> they were just they were just a little too one-sided on that on that part you know, mm. and the only the only part that I almost like I felt like tearing up a little bit is when like the big uh, the at at is shooting all like the little the uh, they're shooting the little fur bears and one of them dies. And like he like rolls her over and like she is dead or he is dead. And I mean, that one hit my heartstrings. I'm like, oh, fuck, man. That was like his wife or his, her husband. I don't know if it was girl or boy. And <laughs> that part that part definitely resonated with me. I'm like, oh, man, I couldn't imagine losing my friend, you know. That was fun. That was that was great. That was great movie making right there. I did did like that. Yeah. I'm going to look up Lady Hawk real quick. I got to know what she looks like.
2: Well, you're assuming she looks like anything.
1: Well, he has such a crush on her in the book.
2: Well, no, he liked the movie. Or whatever it was.
1: No, I'm saying he had such a crush on her. Like, Z was always making fun of him. It's like... Oh, like your fucking Lady Hawk. He's like, "Hey, fuck you!" And don't get me started about your Endorians. And
2: right, well, uh, yeah.
1: okay. This looks like this looks fucking great. This is definitely an eighties type A movie that I would probably like. It's like a Beastmaster almost.
2: Yeah, it definitely looks like the eighties.
1: So you've never seen Lady Hawk? No, I hadn't. So even I think heard heard of we should definitely do. Book. Have you seen War Games? Right. Yeah, of course. Okay, that's a great movie. I'm probably gonna end up watching Lady Hawk, because some of these movies that he recommends in the book that I'd never heard of, like I'd never seen War Games until I, until I read the book. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and I was like, oh, it's a great fucking movie. Yeah. And so I've never seen Lady Hawk, so I would love, definitely, kind of love to dive into it and be like, oh, that's a, probably another great fucking movie. She, she is really hot, though. So I, I don't know if he's just saying it's bad acting or what Z's issue with, or that just helps create the, the banter better, but
2: we'd have to watch it and find out.
1: Um, so as, as, as that goes on, you know, the, the basement was cool. The hangout in the basement. I thought that was a cool play in the book. Mm-hmm. And I like how they brought the five, the top five. I like how they called them the high five. Sorry. in the book. So in order to move forward in the, and the actual hunt for the Easter egg, they have to find um each each clue that Holiday leaves behind in order to win win the prize and the prize is everything, the company everything. And they left an Easter egg. Now have you ever found an Easter egg in a game before, Chris? Yes. What game was that?
2: I don't know, several. Um
1: Do you remember what? your like the like when you found a secret like do you remember a game that like kinda jumps out at you when you actually found the secret?
2: No, not really.
1: See so, yeah, I've never actually played Adventure or I don't remember playing it. But I have found secrets, and one of the games that I love secrets in was Doom. Finding secrets in Doom because like you'd go around and you would try to hit the walls, and I would just like, like repeatedly just hit the keyboard, the space key, and it's like
0: uh 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 uh
1: uh 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 against like the walls. That's that's what it sounds like in the in the game. And all of a sudden they would like, and like it would pop with the door open. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah! And the monsters would come out to right like mowing down monsters. Actually,
2: I do remember. um And, you know, in Super Mario Brothers, there's that one world where you go, if you get a shell, like at the very end of the level on those bricks, as you're climbing up the bricks to go jump on the pole, there's a block that if you like, throw a shell at it, and then you just jump on the shell, and it kind of like auto does itself. So you just keep jumping on the shell and kicking it back at the block. It gives you one ups. And so you can get max life on it. Um Yeah, that's one I remember.
1: Super Mario Brothers has some great fucking hidden secrets. I love like you could like kneel in Super Super Mario Brothers Uh Three, like you can kneel and then fall behind the whole entire scene. You can sprint to the end. Oh, and the the third one, yes, that's right. Yeah, and then you can uh, choose your world and go to the end if you needed to, and you can kind of move around the world that way. Yeah, I love shit like that, and that's why I like about the game because in the book, uh, I'm sorry, like uh, the book, I love because it's just like that. It's like reading a video game, and the. Have you ever played Joust before? No. In the Atari? No. Great fucking game. Is it? And yeah, it's awesome. And when they're playing Joust against the Lich King, so he goes into the Dungeons of Dragons, dun- <laughs> and he's like going to the dungeon, and then he has to fight a Lich King, which is like one of the most powerful bosses you could fight. And he doesn't fight him, he plays him in Joust. I just in my mind I'm listen I'm like watching this to go on I'm like laughing my ass off.
2: No, I I think that was a cool twist. That's that was one thing that was really well done cuz yeah, he sets it up like you've got to fight this thing but you know, it, the whole contest is about if each contest was about just knowing one specific fact of 80s trivia, right? Then then there wouldn't be that much knowledge you would have to know. you just have to know like three things. Everybody every, would have won. Or six things. Yep. But you, each challenge, there's actually a, several things you have to know. And that was the great thing work about the your book is, is
1: you really have to suspend your disbelief. I was like, why has anybody found the egg yet? Because I think yeah. the way they hid the secrets was really well done. Yeah. And then you have to be Halliday himself. And Halliday was such a nerd and such a game guru that he he was awesome. And to skip forward now, so after the first key was done, I liked how they transformed into Parzival and Artemis's relationship. I thought that was really well done. You know, they kind of explained some of the Oasis during that. They used that relationship to explain the Oasis and go more in depth about what happened. And I just started laughing laugh my ass off when he got to the, the prostitution. Mm-hmm. And he, I was like, how are they going to put this in the movie? Like. And uh, they explain it a little bit in the movie, but they don't really dwell on it. But right. like, because they don't, they don't talk about ordering uh, like uh, sex dolls or anything, right? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah.
2: He, they do. I was surprised the book went there. Um, it, that was, but he, they didn't really. Again, he just kind of like, eh, not really for me, and then stops doing it. But like you know, he
1: he spends like thousands of credits though. Yeah, at, but inside, inside the but uh, prostitution, he
2: only spends like. A paragraph on it i guess is my point oh like, yeah so yeah, he so dive it's not like it. it's actually that big it, it's it's a example of telling not showing
1: so, so, in, so in the movie you can they're panning down through the stacks and you see people on their oasis rigs and the best part is you see like this girl dancing on a pole
2: oh
1: yeah yeah and uh she's not like a petite girl or anything right. you know she's a bigger girl but uh, I thought that well, was I thought that was hilarious because you could be whoever you want to be in the Oasis. You don't know who you're talking to. It's like calling a sex phone line, right? And they're talking dirty to you over the phone. Well,
2: actually, that that is d- d- is his mom still uh, an, a, a, a prostitute?
1: Um, you don't know his mom. She's not even in the movie. They don't even mention it. No. Nope. Well,
2: like they don't. They he remembers his mom, but it, yeah. you don't meet her in the book. No, but uh, he talks about that she w- did. They don't, they don't even cover that moises. in the
1: and the movie. I mean, yeah, but yeah, but she was, the, she well. this is his
2: aunt and uncle's much of a jerks as they are in the book.
1: Well, it, the weird thing about that is his uncle's a big douchebag, but yeah. his aunt's like more on his side. So they actually kind of make it, they make his life at home miserable. Yeah. You know, they do a good job of that. Yeah. But, and they have him in the laundry room. Like he's like laying on top of the machines as they're like going, it's like shaking. Right. Um, but they don't, make her as terrible as she was in the book like, right when you meet her like oh, i fucking hate her
2: yeah well that's all you see of them and then yeah
1: boom. Then, then boom they die yep
2: but, um, i'm guessing that doesn't happen in the book or in the movie because they're already in columbus and everything they die
1: yeah okay they blow up the stacks they they do do that so he does go and meet sorrento and the holograph and that was pretty cool mm-hmm. um they do that and another thing that really kind of it pissed me off just because I saw some complaints about this online. We had talked about like the development of the characters and how they were yeah. kind of sidekicks. They make Artemis go into IOI, and she's the one that hacks IOI. Yeah. And I didn't like that. You know, um,
2: I don't think I'd mind that so much. Um, it wouldn't have worked in the book because it's all told from part, uh, Parzival's, Parzival's yeah. perspective in a movie format. That's fine. I don't... I mean... I don't have a problem with that kind of stuff. It's like, even if the reason they're doing it is so that they can have an empowered female, it's just, if it's done well and if it adds to the story. So ha- not having seen it, I couldn't say, but just, just conceptually, I don't always have a problem with that.
1: I just don't think it was done well because what they did was they put her in like a box and mm-hmm. it wasn't like, cause when he, when he was in a servant like I thought that hit on some really things that could possibly happen in the future. some of this shit could really happen but for her she was just captured and that's why she's in there it wasn't like she was oh it
2: wasn't a whole elaborate trap thing no
1: they didn't do any of that she was just captured and she was put into this into this area to where Mm -hmm. she couldn't actually move or function she was standing up and then she would have to like move they're setting their they had them working on the final boss pretty much they had him set in traps for parzival and anybody else that would try to get into anorak's castle that's what they were working on and anorak's castle was on a planet called doom which is pretty interesting yeah and it was like a like a molten lava planet it wasn't actually like a planet in the book where it's green and beautiful and you have all these avatars show up to go fight um they do show up but it wasn't it wasn't like the planet they were on yeah and the way they did it, so she escaped because Parzival is able to hack into her rig, and then he gets her out, and then she escapes, and she runs up to Sorrento's office and then disables Sorrento from there. And like she's like in Sorrento's rig because like, he leaves his password on a sticky note. And I'm just like, come on, bro. Bro, come on. Yeah, like, that's dumb. And, like, he writes his password down because he can't fucking remember it. And He's the leader of IOI. He's a game programmer. And then that's another thing is Sorrento isn't a dummy. Like, Sorrento's a game programmer. He made a bunch of games that that Wade Watts actually played. And Wade Watts even salutes him for that. Because Wade goes into, like, how he played Sorrento's games and he enjoyed them.
2: Well, also, um, uh, in the book, I mean, Sorrento figures out some stuff on his own. Like, because he just um what like what i'm trying i think it well yeah because this the sixers are actually the first ones to find the um last key what is that one the called? crystal key. The crystal key yeah and um so i feel like you know that's an
1: example of he does have an hacked immersion rig though
2: yeah but so but, what, i mean but that they were they were stumped on the second key in the second gate forever they were
1: stumped on the first two gates i mean they didn't find anything on the right
2: so i feel like that was probably sorrento himself having some insight so what i liked about
1: this so ernest klein is definitely a fan geek of rpg games and artifacts so in the oasis you can actually find artifacts and you can use them and you can sell them online which reminds me of world of Warcraft and The best part about it is you can. They had the tablet of finding, so at any point in time you can type a a avatar's name into the tablet of finding, and it would pinpoint their location. Now, the the world of the Oasis is set up in sectors, and if you're not in the same sector, it would tell you what sector they're in. If you're in the same sector as that person, when you type their name into the tablet of finding, it would take you to what it would tell you what planet they're on. If you're on the same planet, it would give you their exact coordinates. So I I like that part in the book because they can use artifacts.
2: Yeah, you, that was a cool twist. I like the idea of the artifacts. And so and that's yeah. how
1: they were able to find the second key or the jade key because yeah. they were able to use a tablet of finding. And okay, so she was in the 17th sector, and so they were all able to go there. And that's when Shoto and Daioto they just they did the whole Star Wars trick. I right. what, did you notice that?
2: Yeah, where they just follow the, the Well they, they hung tracked out to the they tracked, Sixer fleet. Yeah. They
1: tracked the Sixer fleet and they were hanging out in the hole and they just kinda of floated in with them and they detached and went to one of the houses. So I thought that was really that was good writing, you know, that was able to turn in a reference but not so if you were a geek, you knew the reference, but if you didn't, you would, you would just like it. Anyhow, You didn't have to know the reference to, to like what was going on. Yeah. So I, I definitely enjoyed that. So with that being said, um, another one of my favorite points is when Artemis breaks up with Parzival. I thought that was epic. Did you like the whole dance scene?
2: Um, it was fine. Yeah. I, i well, yeah, it made sense. I thought that was well done. I, the the whole going to the club thing though, and how risky that apparently was, didn't seem to make much sense in retrospect. But
1: they were level ninety nine. They were the highest you can get, though. Yeah, but but the
2: Sixers they would have destroyed them if if what's og didn't have yeah like superpowers that no one else has. So.
1: Yeah, which is awesome. Which, which,
2: but the thing is, like, why did he wait so long? Some other avatars did lose all of their levels and everything before he decided to come out and wipe out the Sixers. But
1: you know, he just—I don't think he cared. I, I think he just—he was making sure he was trying to see if they were going to be okay. He right. didn't want to intervene, but then when he found out that hey, listen, Parsifal and Artemis are going to die, that's when he stepped in. Yeah, because there was a lot of gunters there too. So, yeah,
2: but I feel like he should have. Uh, I do. I do love the stepped in a little earlier.
1: I like, but I I think that the reason we needed that scene was because finally we got a fight scene between the Sixers and the Imparsible and Artemis in action. And you got to see them use their powers, use their guns. Um, I thought that was well done. Do you like the? Do you think it's too much definition or detail uh, when he goes into like having the? Um, the cars and the ships and his in his hangar did you enjoy that how he he built his home on an asteroid
2: i mean some of that is i guess it's i don't know if it was too much or not it was like he definitely wanted to explain everything and describe everything but lots of lots of uh authors do that too so that just comes in the personal preference i guess it makes sense that you would describe the surroundings you're in. So that I didn't think was out of bounds. Um, But uh, yeah. So no, I had no problem. Let me ask you
1: this. What was your favorite piece of the book? What was your favorite part?
2: Hmm. Um, Probably. Well, one, I don't know that I had a single favorite part, but I, one part that I liked a lot, was i liked the part where he didn't discover the crystal key but like because you know artemis discovers it and then everyone knows it's in that sector but they no one can figure out where it is it's taking a while and um he's there and he he has an idea and he based on the the um hint and he goes to this planet but it's not it it's not the right one and he plays that pac-man game and and he gets an artifact yep um an extra life basically which is comes into critical play later on but i liked that about it like you think oh he's gonna solve everything and he had an idea and it seemed to be something interesting but it ended up not being it and he actually lost a lot of time because of playing that game and um then H was the one that solved it before him, so he had to. Um, so then, he, and then he got helped out by H.
1: In a place long neglected, you can only blow the whistle once all the trophies are collected.
2: Right. Yeah. And it's one of those. And I didn't know that that text ga- uh, adventure game that that is one that um, I like text based adventure games. You back, played? You played those before? Yeah, like um, Head Zorg and. Zorg. Uh, Douglas Adams' *Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy* was a brilliant one.
1: I thought it was Zorg.
2: Zorg is one. Was it? No, it, I don't think.
1: Well, yeah, it was Zorg.
2: Well, I played it. I don't remember it very well. So, it. Um, I didn't have a map. Is another problem. Like I, I got it, and I, I somehow had the the the, the disc, but I didn't have all the accompanying materials. Yeah, that's so I was definitely constantly lost. <laughs> so, but. Um, but anyway, I lo- I loved that uh, reference to that kind of stuff. That was cool. If I knew, if I remembered the game better, I w- probably would have figured that out. And the other thing I liked was the the Blade Runner reference. Um, like I got that one reason I liked it I, is because I got it before. I thought of you right away. I got it before he did. I'm like, uh, you know, like oh the take the test. That's probably a Blade Runner reference.
1: I did not just know just because
2: I know thing. it's a bunch of '80s references, right? Like, but.
1: So what what so it's take the test because you have to take a test to prove that you're not a, that you're not a, a bot that you're inhuman?
2: Right, there's there's like questions they ask you and they measure your responses to the questions and robots act a certain See, way. No
1: no no that's in the movie and I was like, man, they don't put Blade Runner in the movie. I thought they would because Blade Runner had just come out this last year. Yeah, so maybe, I figured maybe they it's have it
2: protected up. or something. That's the other thing with a movie like that, you're going to be dealing with a lot of intellectual properties um
1: so when you write a book do you not have to get intellectual i guess he's not really
2: well there's yeah it, it, writing a book would be a lot different than like filming. shot by shot recreations of the movie of itself. sets from a, yep. um and it, you know i don't know copyright law so but it seems to me like maybe it's like you have so many seconds of film where if it if it matches another film then if you go over that limit, then you're infringing. I know because that's how songs are, yep. to an extent. Um, although that's constantly changing, it's it's getting a lot more complicated nowadays with sampling and everything. But that's one of the things they look at: is are you is the melody sound exactly the same for this amount of
1: time? It has to be something along those lines right. because there's a lot of references they did not hit on. Mm-hmm. But overall, the movie was good. I enjoyed it. I want to go see it again. Um, Yeah. And
2: I've heard that it's a great movie from people who haven't read the books. So um,
1: I think it's a great movie. And
2: and, and then from people who some people who have read it said, oh, if you haven't read the book, then it's probably a really good movie. But
1: one of my favorite parts. So when they when they clear the last gate, I don't know if the last game sorry. when they clear the second gate, they actually get to pick a toy and you find out that the the toy turns into a robot, which I thought was fucking awesome.
2: That that was cool. I didn't know much about robots, but or like the various things. And
1: we had Mechagodzilla, which right. I knew, yeah. And they had a uh, Robotron or whatever the ones are, Vol- Voltron. Voltron, it was Voltron where they all connect. So the enemy right. had the Voltron ones, right? But they were destroyed they fast and they couldn't connect with each other. And then Parzival, and them had like uh, they all chose different ones, which I thought was awesome he chose well uh,
2: i feel like once one was selected you couldn't
1: you couldn't re-choose it yeah Yeah, so there was already because when he's going through to choose he notices that they're grayed out but he couldn't tell what they were Uh, so it doesn't tell you what other people chose so obviously sorrento went for mechagodzilla because by the biggest baddest one right so and i don't know if parzal would have chosen that one right off the bat yeah i don't know that he would have either but yeah so I thought, so going in, so when he's flying it in and everybody's trying to like to halo him and he's flying into the world, I, I was just laughing my ass off because he's playing one of my favorite tracks. Yeah. You know, Dirty Deeds, Dun Dirt Cheap. Yeah. Dirty Deeds and the Dun Dirt Cheap. I thought that was fucking awesome, man. And my, my favorite part is like when he's talking about music, right after I'd read that section, I would go on a run and I would start playing that music. And Monica, when she, cause she bikes while I run, she'd be like, why are we listening to this song? And I'm like, oh, I just listened to this on Audible. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, I just wanted to, I wanted to hear Metallica, or I wanted to hear Rush, or I wanted to hear uh, ACDC. Right. You know, uh, all the bands that he lists off, he has a good play, he's a good playlist. Mm-hmm. And A tracks. I don't know why. I thought it was a little overboard. That was one of the overboard parts of the book where he creates all these robots and then he puts A tracks in them yeah with the priest that it's a little it's a little it's a shout out for sure but i was just kind of laughing yeah that
2: one's fine that one that's the one that i had a problem with
1: <laughs> i'm like i i just don't have to say problem i just i was like yeah you know mp3 player would have been fine at that point in time so going through that did you like how the book ended
2: yeah i think it was a pretty good ending um yeah
1: because the movie ends kind of
2: yeah different
1: it's different I mean, yeah, it's well, it's way different because like they end like with a crowd of people around them.
2: Well, uh,
1: I was really excited to see Og's mansion because yeah. in the book it's pretty badass. He, well, they say
2: it's like a recreation of Rivendell. Rivendell. Yeah. Well, that brings up another criticism of the book in general. Well, he took I an honest know.
1: to god torch off the wall, Chris. There's a lot of. I want to the torch thing on the That wall
2: I'm kind of understanding because. Uh, in the in the books it references like the the rules of the contest or whatever is about knowing everything there is to know about 80s culture right but a lot of the things that he's that they include in that aren't 80s culture star trek is like 90 percent not in the 80s I um, would never have known that. There's uh, there's like two seasons of Star Trek that are in the 80s. The original series was the 60s. But you could say, okay, the original series is part of growing up in the 80s. But And then, okay, another one, The Simpsons.
1: Would be like us growing the up. The
2: Simpsons, like like one or two years of The Simpsons were in the 80s. But, I mean, if you were a child in the 80s, Simpsons would be like for your younger brother or your kids. Not for you, because it was really big in the nineties
1: i could I agree with that, you know, so
2: like why would Halliday be obsessed with the Simpsons? I don't know,
1: maybe because when he was of age to kind of watch it, he just maybe started with it, and it was based in the eighties, so he was just obsessed with it, you know, because that's when it was from that. He was obsessed with anything that started in that era, maybe. Or it became big in the internet. It doesn't make sense. Well, yeah. Not everything makes sense, but right. I think he was just a, a nerd. Well, in yeah, general. because
2: he does talk. Well, and I guess to be fair, some of the stuff he talks about is just geek stuff that's in the Oasis. So, like, he has a ship from Firefly, which is a show from the early two thousands, has absolutely zero connection to the eighties, <laughs> but but that's not really in reference to anything that Halliday does. So.
1: Does he talk about Battlestar Galactica at all?
2: No, I don't recall that being referenced. I don't either. I just
1: don't, I don't, I don't know when the original
2: Battlestar Galactica aired either.
1: I don't know. I just, I know it's a nerdy thing. So. And actually, I didn't even realize his ship was from his Firefly. Um, I think he mentioned it. Yeah,
2: no, he says it's, it's but, the ship from Firefly.
1: Does it start with the, what's the name of the ship? It starts with the V, maybe? The Volt?
2: Um. It's Serenity. Oh, you should know this off the top of your tongue. It's Serenity.
1: He steals a Serenity? I don't remember that. It's a
2: Firefly that. class ship.
1: Okay. Yeah, I know I know the name of the Serenity cuz it's in that movie. I've seen the movie, which was really weird, but um but no, I uh I was looking at it and I was like, "Oh, fuck dude, I don't I don't know anything about Firefly." I thought it was cool because those guys would not stop following him or that that big ass ship that he, that he stole yeah, was in his way, so he went on. He was like having a bad day, so he killed everybody on board. Just yep. made, me, made me think of road rage. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. like bring it back to our conversation True. earlier about road rage, and <laughs> he goes in there. He's like, he's like, well, today was a bad day, so I'm killing everybody on board. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny.
2: No, that was good. Yeah,
1: in some parts, if like you couldn't lose a guy, he would have to kill him. Right. You know, um, but no, that was all. That was all pretty solid. I actually really enjoyed that yeah so well
2: the the only other criticism and this isn't really a criticism but it's also it's just something i would like to see is the entire and i know that's what he's trying to do it was a referential book he wanted to have a book that he could just revel in the culture that he likes but you know what are the new things like there's not even a hint of like what's the new cultures that's out there like is everything just total 80s now because of the contest or is there actual like what's the counterculture in his world? He mentions what, that. What's the stuff that's non '80s that's current?
1: He mentions that because he talks about how everything was very futuristic and there was different worlds. There was whole disco planets. There were entire, disco
2: would be '70s. I mean, like, well,
1: no, but there was there was entire shopping mall planets. There was et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what he talks about is. He's saying once the game started, everyone went to eighties, but then it stopped after the five years, and nobody claimed anything, no one hunted for it, and Gunters were actually frowned upon because they're like, "Oh, you're looking for Holiday's egg, oh, you're a loser, So I think what he's saying is a lot of people are kind of like I rock, they were just kind of like, "Oh, I'm gonna have a cool skin, sure, I'm gonna have a cool avatar, but I agree with you. He didn't dive in in yeah. deeply into depth on in what what the culture was like. Right. Like, was what are the some cool new
2: art that's going out? What's a new TV show, or <laughs> that people watch? You know that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, there was there was none of that. Like, are, are apparently,
2: you... Parzival is just completely uninterested in it. I mean, wait, he was. He reminds
1: me of Brant, in a way.
2: Yeah, but Brant he knows about Stranger Things and Rick and Morty and.
1: No, I I get that, but like what I'm saying is like. Like, you can immerse yourself and, like, he immerses himself in work and we don't hear from him for, like, a week and a half, you know? Right. That's what I mean. So, like, Parsel was that to a thousandth extreme. Yeah. The damn dude, he didn't go outside for over six months, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> he locked himself in his apartment. Well, and I know. What did you think about the delivery system? That was cool, yeah. Like, he would have pizza. Like, so if he, what I thought was really cool is I wonder if we could ever get to this point in life to where you can have... Of you're in virtual reality and they have smell sensors, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, that and was have, funny. And they have haptic suits, which they wear, which allows them to feel touches and right. and uh, a push on the shoulder or a gunshot to the chest. And they could order a pizza. So if they're in a pub and they're having a beer, they could order a beer and they could order a breadstick or or a pretzel and cheese, and it would be delivered to the door. That was cool as shit. Yeah. And I enjoyed that part. I mean, that makes me look to the future. It's like, fuck, if we're creating movies like this already, we're pretty damn close. Some of the virtual reality is, is pretty it's pretty interesting.
2: No, I think we'll be able to get to something like this at um, some point soon. I mean, it's the te- most of the technology is there.
1: Have you done any virtual reality yourself? No. You never played with it? I just did it at a bar the other day, probably about a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. and it was cool as shit. You paid like ten bucks, and you get to go shoot shit that's coming at you. Yeah, and like you're holding guns, and oh man, I loved it. I, I loved every moment it. Of I would
2: it. like. To, I definitely want to. I just haven't had an opportunity.
1: So the, the one thing I don't wouldn't like to do is there seems to be a lot of setup because he built an entire immersion rig that he used to to like you know. Yeah move around in the oasis and yeah. i don't want to bullshit to my floor i don't want to bullshit to the walls i mean i guess i set up my surround sound system and stuff and oh, i yeah that's, that's my no TV. different than
2: getting like a super duper computer system like elaborate it setup. seems like a
1: lot of work but i guess once it's done it's done
2: yeah but it's it's like building your own computer But can something. you
1: imagine this i guess here's the thing is they talk about how people are immersed in the oasis and then they spend all their time in the oasis and it's become like a home away from home would it be any different from work if you could just spend all your time working in the oasis? That's yeah, well, that's thing.
2: one thing. Yeah, why do the? Yeah, why do you have to go physically be at the IOI compound to do the phone call stuff? You know, they. Want to, I mean, obviously, they're doing like slave-like controlling. Tactics. Well, and they want to.
1: They want to control you too,
2: right? That's what, but. But I just in general like most of your well I guess yeah when, when uh when parzival had a job that he was using to he had like a tech job and yeah he just got on the the oasis and like
1: he was able to watch movies and answer dumb shit questions that people would ask like did you plug in the machine is your power cord installed correctly have you rebooted your machine kind of like we had to do with audacity and it's working now yeah that's true (laughs) you know it just takes a simple reboot shit like that that we probably should have thought of before we even fucking started right so um if you're listening to this podcast and it stops a couple times uh, that would be why
2: yeah there's little blips
1: (laughs) you know but i agree with that man and i i think that that's that's definitely an issue i look at you know, people in the Oasis and I'm like, man, I don't know if I could get myself caught in the Oasis. You know, I want to go outside and run and explore. I don't know. if
2: Yeah. But there's workout things. Like, I guess the thing is, I mean, it's on one hand, I agree with you because you look at it. Like if you look at people nowadays, like everyone goes, wants to go to the Vatican. They don't want to just look at pictures or watch movies about the Vatican. They want to actually be there. They go to, you know, um, yellowstone they don't just want to watch a documentary about it and that's true people do value like the authentic experience but on the other hand if being in the oasis is in every way exactly the same as being there because you can feel everything um that it's you know it's it's a full immersion
1: and he was saying that the wearing the uh the goggles like you, they're more like glasses. It draws the image directly onto your retina, which right. I thought was so. You're, so it's not like yeah, it's yeah. not like wearing a huge headset that's clunky and that right. you're you're moving around or that it's like,
2: you know, like with glasses and stuff. Like there's it narrows your vision, so you've got like this black space where you can't see. It like everything, fills up your whole vision, just like in real life.
1: Yeah, it's so. I was listening to Joe Rogan again talk about this, and they were, and they were talking about are we going to get to a point where it's like the matrix where we don't know what's reality and what's not reality? Is that going to happen?
2: Um, Yeah. and Yeah. Well, I was listening to, to that same episode. That was the Steven Pinker episode that Jesse linked us to. But uh, yeah, I think that it's possible. That's a danger. I think that his guest, Steven Pinker, dismissed it too much like because he he brought up the whole he was going really, and visiting the actual places
1: he was really annoying like there's too much information and we can never replicate that much information right i'm like dude come on
2: yeah i mean but we don't have to replicate repli- or replicate all that information we just have to replicate the ones that people care about just enough to make that it convincing notice. yeah yeah i mean yeah, exactly. Because the think about how the mind works right now, we can play so many tricks on it right now that it sees things that aren't there. Like so, ghosts. so we don't need to actually be sending to our mind every single piece Ghost of information. Ghost Chris. Bullshit. Well, no, I'm talking about like you get a if you take a graph of dot of squares with, um, and they're separated by clear empty space and you look at it you'll see little dots at the intersections of the lines but when you go and look at each individual intersection the dots disappear well
1: look at illusions illusions yeah, are exactly some
2: things. so so that you know it doesn't have to actually replicate everything it just has to re- replicate everything that are to trick our brains into thinking it's all there
1: i think if we're if if it could draw right onto your retina just like the oasis if everything was set up just like the oasis people would definitely lose sight and know of what's real and what's not real.
2: Right. And and if you had a haptic suit where you can feel virtually everything that's happening to you, um, then yeah. I guess,
1: I guess the only thing that would bring back to reality is you got to eat, you know what I Eating. mean? You got to take a piss. You got to go to the bathroom. Yep. Yep. Um, you can't have sex, you know, nothing like nothing gets you off or anything like that. There's, it's not that but realistic sex
2: probably would be realistic enough for most people.
1: You think so? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I don't I don't know about that. I, I mean, right now you really.
2: got people having sex with robots, right now, and the robots aren't I even that good. Brandt
1: link that link. Brandt did send us that link to those erotic dolls. Yeah, they they
2: they 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 exist, and people do enjoy them enough. They' it's saying that they're even better than real women, and these are ones that can't even move on their own. And if, so, if you basically have that, but and you're wearing a vr the an immersion rig that makes it look like they actually are moving on their own and everything and it's just simulating the parts See, I that didn't, you Yeah, I need didn't to understand touch.
1: that. That thing was just standing in front of him. It was just stationary, right? right? Or did the doll move too?
2: No, I think that was stationary just to correlate with where he needed to actually touch Did it sim- move
1: did it move with him or I didn't I didn't, under, I didn't quite understand that. So The doll, did the doll move with him, like have the same motions?
2: Yeah, he didn't really go into it, so I don't know. I I bet it did. I bet the technology was there. Like, to me, I think in reality, it wouldn't be a doll. Like, if you're coupling it with an Oasis immersion rig, it wouldn't be a doll. It would just be like a little attachment on on the immersion rig that would go to your private parts to simulate what needed to be. Because the haptic suit simulates grabbing everything else, so whatever you need to touch with your hands. They would oh, okay. do that with your body. It would already so handle that. So if you're that. getting
1: a blowjob, it would feel like getting a blowjob. job, It would right. be able to, it, okay, gotcha. So it would be able to emulate that. So it's just one piece on you. Yeah. And you don't need a full doll. Right. Okay, because I thought he said he had a well, doll. Well, he did say that. So, okay, he did. Okay. So
2: I th- I think that was just him kind of referencing the emerging phenomenon of dolls at the time that this was written back in, what, 2008 or something? Yeah. Um. Like back then, it was in its infancy, so I think it was kind of like referencing that. But I think in reality, it wouldn't even need to be dolls if you have that level of immersion. Well, they have those
1: fleshlights.
2: Right, yeah. That's basically all you would need with the immersion thing. Because um, you you have that, it would be a, some sort of attachment like that thing. But then the rest of it is all in your mind.
1: I feel like that would be dehumanizing a little bit. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I feel I'd...
2: like it would... I mean, yeah, absolutely. It would It'd feel weird. I don't know.
1: I look at that and be like, man, if anybody ever found that in my house, I'd, I don't, I don't get embarrassed very easily. But that would definitely be embarrassing. I don't know how to explain it.
2: Oh, um, I mean, I don't know. I think that wouldn't seem weird to me. But I think most people would have them, so that I think most people wouldn't be.
1: I don't think I've ever met anybody with the flashlight, Chris.
2: No, I'm talking about in this future
1: where oh, I'm talking is, about now.
2: Where immersion is so oh yeah, a flashlight yeah, I wouldn't get a flashlight
1: yeah. It's just weird. It's a but you know it's I a have a weird wife thing. and
2: everything, so like if I'd been going a long time without any access to that kind of stuff.
1: Well, he's by himself. For, I don't blame him. He's by himself right. for six months in a in a room. He hasn't seen sunlight. He hasn't seen shit. I just think, I thought that was very interesting because they're talking about would you know reality from non-reality and it right. was going into the matrix is there a matrix could there be a matrix Yeah they Cuz well, you had hit upon that like we're we're already in a simulation
2: Right yeah if that that's possible um I have some problems with that assumption um but yes if we were if this were if cause, so the idea is If it's possible, and there's some, I guess, some work that shows that it is possible for us to at some point be able to create a computer simulation of the universe. Um, Theoretically, then, if that's accurate, then it would create all the same things that the universe does, which means that sentient life would evolve in it. Um, So, so that would mean so if that's possible. Right, if it is possible to get to that point, and and someone actually does create that, then that means in that universe they they're simulating. In that universe, they would also reach a point where they could simulate a universe, and then they would simulate a universe, and in that just point, be constant. So so then simulation. yeah, so it would go all the way down infinitely. So then you're looking at like okay, so in terms of realities where things where things become sentient. Right, um, there's like in, an infinite number of realities that are simulated, and there's one reality that's real. And in, and if that's the case, then what are the chances that we're living in the real reality and not a simulated reality? But that that's a lot different than like than what the Matrix is. Well, that's
1: like fucking philosophy. How do you define what reality is?
2: Well, that's true. That is. That is philosophy, yeah. You
1: know, it's like does the tree fall in the forest? For a uh, florist, right. does the tree fall in the forest? Are you it, alive
2: if you if you have all the traits of being alive, but you're just a computer simulation?
1: I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's that's why I love. It, I so and I really I wanted to get to a point, Chris, where we do um, a segment, and because one thing that I fucking hate, and I I'm I'm constantly doing this is finding a show to watch. You know, I go through Netflix. I'm like, okay, that looks like shit. I don't want to watch that. Right. I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch that. So, find where well, we can like have a segment to where we kind of recommend shows to mm. watch, and for people to kind of pick up on, so they don't have to go through the an, the agonizing task of finding finding. So, something. should we
2: do something like a yes and a no? Yeah. Like, uh, do watch this. Don't watch that.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that. If
2: you have one yeah okay, so sure, let's start it off then
1: so one of the things that definitely everybody should watch um it's a little deep, you know, a lot of people um Monica has a hard time watching some of the episodes, but Black mirror,
2: oh yeah, that's a great one i I second that endorsement. everyone should watch Black mirror
1: very good, and if you only if you're not wanting to tie yourself down to ten episodes, the first season only has three that's so, true, yeah. So, it's well, a really good and, way to get started.
2: Also, none of the seasons really link to each other. Each episode stands alone. So, you know, you could, you don't even have to start at the beginning. You oh, yeah. S- we jumped around. We yeah. jumped
1: from four to one and three. But right. if you wanted to get started, get your feet wet. So, I actually tried to do the traditional way. And I started in season one and it kind of worked my way up. But Black Mirror, it's fantastic. It hits yeah. a lot of things that we're actually talking about. It takes consciousness and puts it into. Into an Alexa, pretty much, and saying, "Is that person really alive?" And that right. person has consciousness. Well,
2: and the other thing is, not only that, it's a duplicate of the is Amazon doing that right person. now. So, I mean, Alexa's laughing at people in the dark. So, well,
1: <laughs> I'm swear, swear to God. So, I was listening to these Zuckerberg trials going on. Yeah, and I'm not fucking lying, man. I have talked about shit, and it's popped up on my Facebook feed, and it's popped up. And I'm not. I know I use other apps that allow access to Facebook. But I've talked about shit and it's popped up on Facebook. It pops up on Google and mm, and yeah. stuff that it, it was like a book. It was an actual book and it was an audiobook I was talking about listening to. And all of a sudden, I had never listened to this audiobook. I've never talked about it. And one of my friends was talking about it and it popped up on here. And the funniest thing, Chris, is I didn't know what to look for it, but my old boss was telling me a story about these Grisham books that he used to listen to. Yeah. And like how he was telling his buddies about these audio and about this detective series that he was listening to. And I was really into listening to some detective series, but after having that conversation, him, one of his buddies called him and said, Hey, listen, dude, we just had this conversation. And this shit's on my Facebook feed telling me, Hey, listen, buy this book. And so that happened to me not long after that. So I, I don't know if I was just looking for it or.
2: Yeah. I've never had that experience, but I definitely have had the one where I buy something Um, like not even, not even through Facebook though. So it's like, I think some of these, some of these, um, companies, they have deals with Facebook where they say someone, you know, I'll give you the information of me, of this person buying something from me so that you can know that they've bought something from me and target my ads to them to get them to buy something else from me.
1: What's bullshit about Facebook is, and what pisses me off and some of the senators being as dumb as they are. The biggest intrusion of privacy is that the way they interconnect Facebook. For example, like if we want to connect your running app. Oh, do you want to connect with Facebook? You don't really realize what you're doing. A lot, of, a lot of people, I realize what I'm doing every time I do it, but I do it because it's convenient. Right. You know, I don't want to sign in my, my email address, you right. know, and I just connect with Facebook, connect with Facebook, connect with Facebook. But they're mining you at that point. Yeah. And they're fucking grooming right. you and they're grooming your, your feed. And all of a sudden Facebook transformed from something that was cool and hip into, oh, a fucking wall of bullshit because I'm scrolling through video of ads. And and all a lot of my feed is just ads now. Yeah. You know? Well, there's
2: a – you can – there's this program uh, – extension on Firefox at least you can download called Social Fixer. Um, and it actually will um, kind of fix a lot of those problems with – um, Facebook. I highly recommend them. Um, That's it, cool. It, it gets rid of a lot of the ads, um, and it it also like there's this effect in Facebook where if you scroll down far enough, it starts repeating things, and it, so it just scrolls forever. And social fixer F- fixer will stop it your feed, so your feed actually has an end.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I never realized it repeated.
2: Yeah, well, it doesn't repeat the same way. Like it's not a perfect. Oh, okay. But but it'll start like feeding back in some other stuff. Um, so yeah. you're
1: just well, you know, and so you're spending more and more time on Facebook. Yes, exactly. That's what it's designed because to you're do. thinking that you're seeing new shit, and you probably don't even realize that you right. scroll past something. Right. And that does make some sense. I always wondered why I'm like, fuck, man. Maybe just the feed just reconnected. I never even thought that I would be looking at something twice. Yeah. Damn it. <laughs> that makes sense now. So I,
2: I recommend that, and then also for social
1: fixer, right? Yeah, social okay. fixer.
2: Um, and then there's uh, if you don't like signing in with like twenty thousand different passwords, I get a password manager. Um, I, I have one called LastPass, but that that one's only on my browser, so it doesn't work on my phone. But there are ones on for the phone and everything that you can get. Um, it's you know, it's is it secure? Yeah, yeah. It will be secure. You get a thing. Basically, what you do is you create this. It's like a vault, and it has it stores all your username and information, and will automatically enter it for you on each independent platform. And you just have to remember the one username and password to log into that program, and then it will log into all the other so stuff. So, if you for open you. an
1: app, does it automatically launch that program?
2: Um. Yeah. Well, I mean, like. I See, I don't know how it works on phones. I'm sure there are ones for the phones, but like on a browser, like you'll go to the Facebook website and it'll automatically fill in your username and password. But first you have to, it brings up a dialogue and you have to enter in your password for...
1: Is it like Richie Rich where you have to sing to it?
2: No, no, no. You you type out your own password. But the cool thing reference. is you can use you can use the the these password managers to also generate passwords so you can get super complex hard to crack passwords that you don't have to remember for each huh. of your sites and then and it will remember it for you. So that's so another thing. What happens
1: thing. if that thing goes away? Then I guess you can just recover a password or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean I don't know. Because then you won't be able to put your username, and you would be like, "Fuck, I don't know what the username is."
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess if you're going to be, be transferred from outer space, it doesn't work if you're going to if you're using a lot of different computers and you can't port that program to each computer.
1: Well, I use my laptop, and then I use my computer over here. Right. So normally, I, I know
2: you can sync it across computers, so you can have it on different multiple computers. But like, if you're yeah, if like it's on like the on same network, com- if you're on the library, library, if you're at a library or something, and you're logging on there. Um, you won't have it installed there, so you won't know it.
1: Well, that makes sense. So you're in a library. I don't think you right. would not be keeping. Well, but me. you
2: might want to log into your email.
1: Yeah, no, I get that. But then that's what you have your phone for. So it, it yeah. seems like it well, has nowadays, s- Yeah, that's it true. has your. Uh, it has some ups and downs, and a lot of phones they already keep you logged in. Yeah, but Apple does a really good job at keeping your shit encrypted, as far as being able to break in. Mm-hmm. I mean, the government couldn't even break into the iPhone. Apple had to, like actually release the that case that where they released the actual credentials, they weren't going to do it. I yeah. that was pretty interesting. Yeah. But, no, technology, dude, it's getting crazy. And, like, I, I agree with Joe Rogan. There's going to be a time and a place where we're not going to be able to discern what's virtual reality and what's reality. And I'm, I'm kind of interested how entertainment centers are going to be set up because eventually TVs aren't going to exist anymore and there's going to be immersion rigs. There's going to be stuff like the Oasis to where, you know, and I I don't know if that's gonna tear a family apart or bring them together, because all of a sudden these people are coming home and they're, you know, going straight to the immersion rig and jump in and not talking to each other.
2: Yeah, I feel like TVs will last for a long time though, just because. I don't know an immersion rig. It just sounds like it would have to be expensive.
1: Yeah, I mean we're talking twenty forty, so I don't I don't know.
2: Yeah, that's twenty years away, but I. It still sounds really expensive. And the other thing is, what well, happened? but in his world, aren't like I don't feel like his aunt and uncle an immer- get into. He didn't have voices. an immersion rig in his world, though. Right? Yeah. He, he had just the haptic no, gloves just, and visor from the, from the from the school. From right. the school. Yeah. Right. So I guess there's other ways to log in there yep. that aren't as. And a lot of immersive. people just spent their time with just those. Well, but and he even said those. that he had the ones from his school, and they were all and boys. they were super valuable, like. Yep. That's why he kept him hidden in his hideout instead of at the house because his aunt and uncle would take it.
1: Yep, no. No, I, I agree. The movie makes it seem like everybody has them. That's what really pissed me off about the movie because, no, not everybody had an immersion rig. Right. A lot of people logged into the Oasis, but it wasn't that good. Like, his laptop that it, that got taken in the beginning wasn't his best laptop, but it had all of his shit on it, which is why I was pissed because like now I'm going to have to fucking re-upload all this shit. I shouldn't have done that. Right. And that was dumb of me for bringing it on here because he was watching movies. try to catch up on holiday. Right. So that I understood. But no, I I just think that, to me, that's probably going to destroy the family unit a little bit. Yeah. I mean, unless you communicate when you're online, but it seems to me like if there's a dad that comes home and he wants to be this or this or that, or their mom wants to do with this or that, they'll go do their own things in their own world and get offline. And then I guess you maybe have that time when you finally log out. But...
2: I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's, well, I I mean, like, phones now, it, it in some aspect, it will be like that. It'll have to come down to individuals having to police their own behavior. But on the other hand, yeah, like, if it is so powerful that people just be- can't regulate their behavior, it's, like, it's a billion times better than real life for everybody, then, yeah, that's the danger that everyone just, then... Yeah, I would kind of destroy families.
1: I didn't understand how the the world economy worked inside the Oasis. That, yeah, that confused me a little bit too.
2: Well, inside the Oasis made sense because it was like a game economy, but it didn't make. I'm talking about for
1: businesses like, like like you actually work in the Oasis as far as like starting a business like. You're not yeah. gonna go put floor covering in the Oasis. Could be a computer program. Yeah,
2: because building would be free. Like you just program your building, and
1: then you could have the craziest. But they store. sold space, though. I think that's where the yeah money came from.
2: Right. Yeah. No. I I know that. Well. Yeah. I know how Oasis made money in terms of selling space to businesses to sell, but. In terms of like, people spent
1: their money in the oasis, so businesses had to move to the oasis to start making right. money. Right? It spent their seems money like their it world. would
2: crater the construction industry.
1: Yeah, I don't think there would be much. We constru- wouldn't well,
2: need as much actual stores. Because it seemed like all the
1: construction was kind of shitty on the outside, because yeah. everything was so nice on the oasis. So right. because nobody nobody spent time in the real world, real real world, they right. only went there to sleep, and that was it. Right. So, but
2: obviously, some people did, and and he doesn't really touch on it because, he doesn't like, for instance, um, you know, when he escapes IOI, he goes to like this public cafe to do an immersion rake. Well, he right? sees college students too. And so, like, there wouldn't be such a thing as public cafes where you could go to get on, log onto the Oasis if people just stayed at home all the time doing it. So, or he also went to a store, or an actual store, and bought a gun. Um, yeah, he did. Mm. Yeah, he did. After he escapes IOI, he goes and he buys some clothes. From what, though? And
1: He went to the store to buy oh, clothes. Oh, it was like
2: a dispenser he a vending unit. machine. Yeah, it was a vending machine. That's right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You're right. But that indicates that people are going around in the world to vending machines to buy guns or other things. Yeah. So he bought a flak jacket,
1: vending machines and rounds. Yeah. He didn't buy a vending machine, but he bought all that shit from a vending machine, which I thought was awesome.
2: Yeah. So, and there's lots of buildings. I mean, IOI has this huge giant, um, building. So
1: I don't know. I mean, there's there's gotta be, I mean, it seemed like where Artemis, Artemis was, was a nice house. She lived with her grandparents. So yeah, it's probably a good mix. I think the wealthier people probably spent time outside the oasis because they could afford to protect themselves.
2: Right. Well, and they probably also know, like, it will give you better some other skills that you couldn't get. Possibly, I don't know. Yeah, you know. the education
1: was there. Right. Maybe. I don't know. So, no, I, I would agree with that. Because theoretically, if
2: if you can create if the simulation's real enough, you, anything you can learn in the real world, you can learn in the oasis.
1: What's what he's talking about? Classes. They would take field trips. They would actually go to Rome. They would go to these areas. They would explore the temples of Giza, and they would, they could right. go back in time. And they could go
2: back. Yeah, you could do way more with this stuff.
1: That would be cool. That would I would cool. love that, and I would. I hope that we finally get that sometime yeah. in the future.
2: That'd and, be a great way to teach history.
1: <laughs> well, and I, that's why I was like, I'm like, fuck this guy on Joe Rogan's podcast. Whatever that guy's name was. What was that guy's name again?
2: Uh, it's Steve Pink, Pinker or something. I don't know
1: who he is, but I was like. Well,
2: I didn't have that reaction.
1: But I'm just like, I just, but he was so finite about it. I'm like, you can't be that finite because like Joe Rogan says, you don't know what's going to happen in a hundred years, 200 years, 300 years. You can't be that finite about something when, you know, technology as it is now is already intrusive enough to where we spend so much time in front of a screen, you know, people already lose a reality. And like we had discussed before on this podcast humans are very good at pattern recognition. So with that being said, if you're good at pattern recognition, it's not hard for an, an AI to create patterns for us to recognize and immerse us into a world that we don't know we're in. And I think that's very strong evidence of something being real. If we think that there are ghosts out there and that we're that we believe in ghosts and that we believe in alternate universes or we believe in a theory of relativity and that we can believe in that, that that exists and that we believe the world's flat or that it's round. I believe that we have the information needed to create an oasis that, that feels fucking real. in a reality that we don't know that we don't know is going to exist. That's what kind of like, right. fuck that guy. Like he was, the
2: only, the only thing I would question is if we would ever have the ability to create a reality that was infinitely var- um, variant real. So like you might be able to create one and you can go into a room and do specific things that feel so perfectly real. But would you be able to go and do anything in that room that you could do in real life? Like that the programmers didn't think of, like if they don't program so that you can, you know,
1: and I get, that's what it means by information. Right. And that that's a hindrance, but I mean, and they're, and they programming. Some of that program, to me, here's the thing is it's gonna be intelligent programming at that point in time. What I mean is they're not programming it in a in behind the scenes. It's programming as you go. It's learning from how you're interacting with the environment of that program and it's automatically coding stuff in real time. I think the intelligence is gonna get at that level because AI acts faster than humans do, automatically. So I think instantaneous programming is very, very, very likable. It's very, it could very well happen.
2: Yeah, I just mean like, if we're sitting here in this room, if they hadn't, if they didn't think of the idea, like, what if I decide that I want to take a bucket of oil, like from like crude oil, and just like pour it onto your Blitz machine. Um, like that's such an obscure thing to do. Would it even be possible to do that in that reality? In that, I in that so. simulation,
1: I could seem like they could go into an inventory and find items and do whatever. Because at that point in time, it's like, there's movies out there that, that already have that in it to where the world kind of forms around them. And it's like, whenever they look the world, kind of creates or whatever they do, the, it, the world reacts yeah. to them. So I think,
2: right. But I'm just saying like, it, but it, it's still reacting to them in pre-programmed ways like so it's in a world where you have arrows and all this kind of stuff but if you tried to bring a gun into that world it wouldn't work because they didn't program gun physics into it
1: that's what I'm saying like you don't need to like I, you I said think you, you would need to for example so if I set the parameters to react around one character and that character can do whatever it wants but it reacts to how that character is reacting. So every, there, there's not a, every, nothing happens. It's like a train re, chain reaction. Um, the, to any action, there's an equal and opposite reaction to it. So for example, if I create a gun, the space reacts to me creating a gun. If I fire a gun, the space reacts to me firing the gun so that you don't need to pre-program it. It's programming around you. I think intelligence is going to get to that point.
2: But well, but then that means you would be programming it.
1: Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Okay. You don't know that you're programming it,
2: right? Well, then you're talking about something that's reading your mind, pretty much, right? So that's a little. And it's not it, well. I mean, but it's not reading your mind what because you're we talking it's, about I thought. it's
1: it's judging you your actions about? though. Because it's not reading your mind. I you're but I don't understand
2: action. how it could extrapolate how a gun. Okay, works so if I take a piece you. of metal, like uh-huh. we know what
1: metal is, we're gonna program metal into the universe. Okay. So if I take the if I take the metal. I know how to build a gun because I can pull it up on Google, and I use the elements needed to build a gun. All those elements already exist in the world, so it's already—it's re- just reacting to what I'm using. So, therefore, I'm not actually—it's not reading my mind; it's just reading the actions that I'm using in real time. Right. I think that's going to so, be intelligent enough to do that I, because it's—you it's, don't need it. Like I'm saying, it could take simple programming and react to it because you don't need, you just need the basics. Like life just needed the basics to exist. It didn't need to be super complex. I mean, I'm, that, that's an understatement, but you know, it just.
2: Right. But now you're talking, you're not talking about programming. Now you're talking about an actual simulation that's just simulating actual reality. Like we're talking about yeah. with where you can, it's actually simulating a universe. Um, So it's, it's not that it's, pro anything is like it's what it is is saying at the molecular level this is how things are and so if you can shape the molecules in the correct way you can do whatever you could in the real world sure but i'm saying you're still going to be limited then to the rules of that universe so yeah you can maybe create a gun that would work in the real world but you couldn't create like some of the stuff you see in video games you would have to pre-program that that's something you would have to program to break the laws of this simulation. Well, that's
1: what I'm saying, though. So there's what I think is the reason, the way he dismissed it, the only way it upset me was because we don't know what we're going to come out with in 100 years. You know, there's stuff that we don't understand yet that we could typically understand. Right. You know, that look at look at that's what Joe Rogan's pointing out. Look at what we know now. And you look at iPhones when texting first came out and then had a flip phone. And then all of a sudden have an iPhone and then look at every, oh, all of a sudden everybody in the world can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to be the downfall of civilization itself. Civilizations aren't going to exist anymore because the communication is so rampant that eventually we're going to get to a point to where we're going to be a world that moves to other worlds. I mean, that's, that, that's inevitable. You know, um, I don't, I don't think that with the way money works and with the way the, the economies are going and third world countries, the other one that he posted, I think with everything combined, we're going to get to that point in time to where we're going to be able to do that stuff. And, and we don't know, but I I don't, I I don't think, I don't think you can just say, no, that's never going to happen.
2: It's possible.
1: I think I don't like absolutes. Right. Absolutes really piss me off. I'm not going to (laughs) lie.
2: I mean, well, I guess I'd have, is he actually being an absolute about it though? Or just being kind of like talking absolutely, but, He's just meaning probabilistically, like 99% probable. I mean, Cause here's yeah, the we don't know what new technology is going to bring. But the thing is, like, if you rewind the clock, right, 30 years, they didn't know. Like, they had, they had predictions that were crazy predictions for now, the current time. And yeah. actually, we can't do that stuff now some of that stuff
1: is still I actually got in, my I got my time capsule sent to me right. from kindergarten and it was like me drawing spaceships
2: right so some of that stuff like flying cars and stuff it's still impossible but um but we but that we've done some, some very amazing made amazing progress in other areas so like saying right now that oh yeah surely in a 100 years we'll have the technology to do x to me that's just as much of an of a error as saying, Oh, there's no way in a hundred years we could have the technology to do that. That's impossible. It's, it's, we don't know. We, we can't know because we haven't like had those breakthroughs yet. Here's what's what happen. those breakthroughs are going to be.
1: There's gotta be a a point in time to where, cause you have to physically put the goggles on. You have to immerse yourself in this world. So by doing that, you cognitively already know that it doesn't exist. So right then and there you know that you're you're in a false state of being. Yeah. So there has to be a point in time to where you don't ever take the goggles off and that's how you get immersed in the reality of the matrix. Something has to keep you alive. And for that to happen, it would be almost like a doomsday type S story to where the robots just take you over and they start using you for power. Yeah. That that's that <laughs> using us for power, that was yeah. I, th- I thought that was weird yeah it didn't make and how sense. do we generate power for them i never understood that in the matrix something about it's,
2: our brain waves or something I don't
1: know. was it brain waves or was it heat i, I don't I get don't it, it he would make sense because we generate heat so you could probably harness the heat as power with mm. if there's enough of us in a room
2: yeah i guess if you put like a thousand humans super in one room cloudy because of some weapon we did i don't know
1: <laughs> to me that was really far-fetched i had a hard time understanding that part of the right. movie but the, it's
2: also like just not not too important to. We're most talking about of the Matrix, movie. but yeah, yeah.
1: I did. I just didn't understand that part of the movie. It's just yeah. not important, but I'm saying that's the only right. way that's going to happen. That we're in a reality of a reality of a reality. For that to be true, it's like you have to physically put yourself into the immersion rig and put yourself into a knowing false city. Yeah. So, you, you're physically putting yourself in something that's not true or not real, right. doesn't exist. That's where I say 100% that we can never know that we're not in a non reality because you already know that. Right. So, I understand with that as an absolute saying, hey, listen, this is why. But he's yeah. like, we don't have the information down there. We can't do it. I'm like, humans are fucking stupid, dude. Well, Point that out. We're pretty dumb. We're not, we're not hard. It's not hard to convince us to do dumb shit. Yeah it's it's just not so like i said so what's in this with a segment um where we're going to help you guys out and if you made this far this is going to be your gift from us to where we're going to kind of recommend a couple of things to watch the first thing i wanted to recommend was black mirror
2: yes and that led to this huge tangent
1: (laughs) yes it did but it was a good tangent and what do you have a recommendation on Chris?
2: Well, okay, I'm a little unprepared. Um I sprang it on you. So here. I can't do Black Mirror obviously because you did. Um and it has to be on Netflix? No,
1: any okay. any like Netflix, Hulu. Well YouTube. then, I would
2: recommend uh Westworld. HBO. It's, yeah, it's not quite the most like obscure pick possible cuz I know it's huge, but it is really good. I was super impressed with that first season. I'm really pumped about the next one. It's coming out really soon. For lots of good reviews about it, the promos for it look amazing. I I can't recommend Westworld enough. It's a great. Not
1: show. Not watched it yet. I need to. Yeah, you definitely need to. Need to that. dive into it. I've been watching other shit first, but um, something that's not popular or does pe- most people don't know about. And if you're looking for a little bit of a horror action and comedy slash Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Oh, that's a good highly movie. I highly recommend that on it's Netflix. It's a great movie. I love that movie. It's it's hilarious. They turn they turn the actual murderers into comedians and, and mm-hmm. the ones that are actually the victims. So it's just a, a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> so yeah. that's definitely good. I recommend that very and unfortunate. Next week, we'll have a couple more shows for you guys. I have
2: an anti recommendation.
1: Anti, what's that?
2: Uh, don't watch uh, the Cloverfield Paradox. Really?
1: See, I, I didn't, I, mean I got
2: halfway through it and it's kind of boring. Stopped. Though. Yeah, it I is, wouldn't recommend I very it. rarely don't finish movies or books, no matter how bad they are. This one was like,
1: uh, this is so dumb. I would agree with that. I give it a uh, one and a half out of five stars. Sure. So, and that's being nice. I
2: didn't finish it, so I don't feel like I can rate it. <laughs> I
1: didn't mind it. It sort of, but sort of, it sort of makes sense. But yeah, if you want to buy a movie, horror oh, it's movie, it's really
2: disappointing because Cloverfield was okay. I I liked Cloverfield, all right? But I like Cloverfield Lane. Ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh, great. Was great. That's a great all time.
1: If you're looking for a movie Horror to purchase movie, and, and like rent, you can rent it off iTunes, Xbox, um, anything like that. That's yeah, a great movie, too. It is. Very good. The very suspense good. and everything they carry on in that movie, great. Monica was so reluctant to watch that movie. That's good. She's like so reluctant. And I finally made her sit down and watch it. And she's like, that's a great movie. I'm like, fuck yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was, it was really, makes really well. Which
2: makes Cloverfield Paradox so perplexing because it, like yeah cloverfield the first one and netflix is so good was, at doing stuff you, you know,
1: know you know they've they've hit the well, mark I on think, so many things. i think
2: what happened is netflix is now at the point where they're just like like throwing stuff on the wall they're just like let's try it let's try it like that's kind of their motto south, is like south park did an see episode if on it that. works see if it works yeah oh, did they <laughs> yeah i'll need to watch that because they're all I'm, they're all I'm really to, behind on south park they're so. all trying
1: to write right ideas to south yeah. park and yeah. then they have a whole like series about it It's fucking great, (laughs) I love it. Um, So yeah, Cloverfield paradox. Don't watch Um, to save
2: yourself time. I mean, if you have the time, go ahead and watch it just to so you can know how bad it is. But it's not even like bad that it's good kind of thing. Something new
1: just came out, and I stayed up too late watching it, and I was against watching it, Chris. Really against it. But Monica put it on. Troy. Mm
2: -hmm. Oh
1: it just the came re- the out the movie no oh. it's a tv show now
2: oh ah, well okay that and might it's be actually good pretty interesting i have not seen the movie with the brad pitt movie
1: jesse fucking hates that movie
2: i i could tell that i would not like it from the previews yeah um,
1: but there's a there's a tv series now and i was really like wishy-washy on it and it's actually not bad so that's another one i would recommend you can if you're looking for a tv show i'd pick up black mirror and troy is not bad if you're looking for some movies, um, Don't Watch, The Paradox, and right. Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, classic. Yep. If you're just looking for something to laugh at, but actually kind of like that's like a dark comedy, yeah, that'd be a good movie for you. Yeah,
2: it's it's great. It's, it's There's nothing bad that can be said about Tucker and Dale. Mm,
1: great movie. All right, guys. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. Ciao. Peace.
0: Matt. Chris. Rampant speculation.